Alert Medic 1 respond. You're listening to the Alert Medic One podcast, the premier emergency medical services podcast with your hosts, Mustafa Sadiq and Ken Sanner. Hello and welcome back to the Alert Medic One podcast. My name is Mustafa Sadiq. Ken can't join us today because I'm actually at the Emergency Management Institute in uh, Emmitsburg, Maryland. I'm taking their uh, FEMA Emergency Management Basic Academy. Today's discussion, I'm really excited to have two guests with me. They're two um, classmates that I have, and they really bring diversity to the project. They're both uh, fire department guys who have transitioned to EM. And uh, so when I say EM, I mean emergency management, not emergency medicine. Um, but they really bring a robust background of where they come from, how they do things differently, um, but also how oftentimes we run into same problems. Uh, so first, I'd like to introduce Captain Hennaro Rocha Jr. Uh, so uh, and he likes to be called Jr. Uh, so Jr. is a fire captain for the Salt River Fire Department, serving the uh, Salt River Pima Maricopa Indian community for over 17 years. Uh, he was also uh, a member of the Armed Forces with the United States Marine Corps. Uh, within his career, he has served various functions. Uh, he gained experience uh, through numerous wildland deployments as a wildland coordinator for the, his fire department and uh, developed a culturally sensitive public education program. Um, I think that's a theme that you're going to see with a lot of JR's work is the culturally sensitive, uh, you know, spin to it that oftentimes gets uh, overlooked when we're dealing with marginalized populations, right? Um, so, JR, welcome. Thank you, Mustafa, for having me. We also have uh, Jeff Taylor with us today. So Jeff is an assistant fire chief and emergency man manager and also a Missouri paramedic. Uh, he's been in the game for 25 years. About 25 um, years, yeah. Yeah, and he has uh, worked in both rural and, or, excuse me, rural and urban interfaces uh, throughout the state of Missouri. Who did you, so who are you a paramedic with right now? Uh, the, I'm a paramedic currently and an assistant fire chief emergency manager with uh, the city of Riverside, which okay. is right outside of Kansas City. Um, really pretty small little community. Uh, bring a different uh, aspect to the environment is, is our primary our primary is a advanced life support pumper or an ALS fire unit. Um, and then we have an outside agency comes in and does our transport. So okay. that uh, uh, transitioning off of a medic unit and into a fire-based service that only does first response ALS mm -hmm. brings a completely different aspect to uh, both urban and rural medicine. So. So is that a private company that does your transport? No, or? actually, uh, we contract uh, our primary city with uh, Kansas City Fire Department. Um, they staff, you know, uh, 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 many, many ALS units within the city of Kansas City. So they just run into our area. And then we have two unincorporated areas that we also cover. And AMR actually does the transport okay. for them and the contracts through uh, the EMS through them. So, okay. okay. So can you describe your, like your fire department, who you serve, where you serve JR? So we serve the uh, community of the Pima Maricopa Indian community. And, um, they have a population of 
around 12,000 registered tribal community members, and about 6,000 of them live there locally. Uh, we have four stations that are all ALS stations. We have technical rescue team, uh, wildland team. Um, everyone in the department has to have their accreditation to provide uh, wildland uh, urban interface for the community. And, and then we have various programs that we do to reach out to the community, such as explore programs, et cetera. So, and uh, I didn't mention it before, but JR is also a, uh, a NREMT, correct? I am. And uh, you're also a certified CPR and first aid instructor. Uh, so the big topic that we wanted to talk about today was um, it stemmed from a conversation that uh, JR and I had uh, last week while we were actually eating lunch. And, um, and JR, I don't want to jump too much into, you know, the story, but, uh, you described your experience with tribal elders and, um, uh, trying to get buy-in, right. And trying to get, uh, them to follow some sort of, you know, the emergency management projects that you had been dealing with. And what really struck me was your, you said that, you know, a, a lot of the folks before you had tried to be superficial with it, right. Um, and I can't help but think, but that that's a, probably a common theme throughout many individuals from yes. the outside trying to go in to deal with these tribal elders. Uh, and what you said that struck me the most was, you know, you have to build that relationship and you have to, you know, quote, I'm quoting you, you said, break bread with them. And that really struck me because, uh, you know, although the tribes are very, you know, uh, unique individuals, you know, unique communities to um, have to serve. But at the same time, I'm sure we can transpose your method of, you know, providing that human interaction, that human experience over to many of the populations that we see uh, that are often marginalized, right? Whether it's the minorities that, you know, uh, you know, statistically we mm -hmm. see aren't given the same treatment that, right. uh, you know, others are, or uh, specific patient demographics. So, you know, uh, folks that suffer with drug addiction, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about that, about where, you know, the, your experience initially, what you saw and what worked uh, for you with uh, the tribal communities? Well, I think, uh, Mustafa, early in my career, um, I realized that um, the, the challenges that we were having uh, stemmed from the type of people that we had working for there, and also the type of people that they that live there. So with that being said, the majority of the population outside the reservation, they value time and money. Okay. If you are on a reservation, they value relationship more than the time and the money. So as I said, breaking bread and having these conversations with them, meeting with them when the skies are blue, are very critical. And, and it really starts at the boots on the ground level because once you start interacting with your, the community, um, you have an opportunity to start that process by just being polite, mm -hmm. just doing the job we signed up for. And, you know, obviously you talk about the challenges and one of the things you had mentioned to me was the... Um, similar calls with some of the challenges that they are out there. But myself as an officer, um, I promote within my crew and anyone that works for my crew uh, on, on overtime that we will provide that service. There is no, you're, you're better than anyone. Mm -hmm. And as far as getting that relationship built, 
Um, I was fortunate enough in the beginning of my career to do public education. So I immediately was uh, working to make conditions better and help educate the children and the elders, which are the most important thing to any tribal community. Um, and with that being said, that's when I had the opportunity to meet and greet, um, spend time with people, uh, learn about their culture, learn about what their value system looks like. And at the same time, uh, using my value system, it, it worked for me. Um, but all too often, we get people that are from outside the reservation who have not been exposed to the reservation becoming frustrated because they are trying to provide a service and don't quite understand that every reservation is different and every situation is different. But at the end of the day, I tell them that you probably need to look at how you're conducting yourself because if you're not understanding their culture then you're not going to be able to provide that service you know mm -hmm. i'll give you an example uh, you know when i first got there they they'd tell me that some of the elders uh, particularly the, the the women would look down and they wouldn't be looking you in the eye and and so you know these are simple things that that uh if you're not aware of you would think that they're actually not uh listening to you, mm -hmm. okay? And you'd be surprised at what people will tell you if you listen. So, mm -hmm. you know, you really got to use your skills. It's not just the stuff that you've learned along the way in classes. I mean, you have to uh, put yourself out there and remember why you're there. I mean, yeah. So what are some strategies that you use to, you know, the actual, you know, when you're training these new folks, right? How, mm -hmm. what, what are some strategies that you use to try to ingrain that because uh, so from my experience, right? So I'm Muslim, right? My, you know, uh, traditionally, you know, some of the things that my family would do, it, you know, may seem, uh, you know, a little bit different to, you know, if someone from, you know, the United States who uh, may see it as, you know, good, bad, whatever. Um, an example of that is, you know, my mom is very reserved when it comes to men, right? That's just something she does. Uh, in an emergent situation, she'll, you know, she'll talk to anyone, right. but, um, the, the headscarf, right, can mm -hmm. be, um, you know, off-putting to some mm -hmm. individuals, you know, just because of the current culture. What, so what are, some, what are some strategies that you or your department use to try to mitigate that, try to break, bring down that wall? So the department provides uh, a brief cultural diversity class that they have during their orientation and when they're going to start working for the department, um, along with some other uh, tools that they give them. But as for me, what I like to do is is volunteer, get out there. If there's something needs to be, uh, it needs to be supported by the fire department showing up and serving. You got to show up. You got to be there. You know, you, uh, you know, even if it's, if it's just to show your face, um, it that's big. That's important. You know, so I try to make sure that every opportunity that we have to be able to be out there with the community and figure out a way to help them out, I. Uh, I have my people engaged so that they're reminded that their job isn't just fighting fire and and extrication and EMS and all guts and glory. It's about treating people the right way. You have to be a steward to do this job well. So that's what I promote within my firehouse and within, um, within the fire department.
You know, JR, you bring up some amazing concepts and I, I just want to take a second and kind of focus on some of the some of the things that you've talked about is, is the true difference of American culture versus those other cultures in our community where it comes from, uh, you know, we're talking about money and time and spending time with family and stuff like that. And then the and then the changes that you're talking about that you deal with on a reservation where time with those other people. But, you know, the biggest thing is, is that I, I continue to hear the same thing um, when we talk about dealing with patients and you know a lot of providers and, and a lot of a lot of departments say well we are not a business we are a business we are totally a business and our product is customer service mm-hmm. and you know Absolutely. and I think that as we continue to press forward we continue to deal with things such as burnout and repeat uh, repeat patients and you know we're trying to find ways to mitigate those issues is that I think we lose a lot of the focus into the reason that we're here in the first place and that is to provide amazing customer service to those people in need Um, you know and I used to have a boss a long time ago that says at three o'clock in the morning the person across from you asking you from help does not care that you've been up all night they don't care that you're on your 20th run is is that they see this as a true emergency and they expect you to provide that customer service and as a organization or uh, as a culture in EMS, is I think that's some of the things that we are losing focus on today, especially as we continue to burn out these amazing providers. And it doesn't just matter if East, West Coast, uh, Central United States, or in these different cultural communities. I think that we're losing that as a combined, uh, as a com- combined organization. And I, I think that it's really amazing to see that you're providing that to not just um, those in your department, but you're also breaking bread, as you said, with those um, those leaders in within your organization and making sure that they understand that that's what you're really there to promote is that customer service. And I think what both of you guys are describing are is community outreach, Right. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And what? Absolutely. And that's something that we love to act like we do, or not even act like we do. We love to think that we do yeah. it. Yeah. But when push comes to shove, I don't think we're that good at it. And that's just you know from my you know experience, um, especially uh, when it comes to you know uh, populations that are you know uh, disadvantaged economically, right? So and now I'm going to ask you guys another question. How do you penetrate that, though? Because there is also apprehension from the population itself, right? Right. So, So, yeah. So uh, uh, to answer the first part of that, the culture within the fire service can either be positive or negative. And that's with any organization throughout the country. What, What we have to focus on is creating that culture that, yes, this is how we do this. This is how we do this all the time, regardless, and not fall into any of that negativity because you're going to have those type of people working for you Mm -hmm. regardless. But with that being said, it's the officer's responsibility, the supervisor's responsibility to, to, to not only promote that, but to lead by example and hold people accountable when they don't because... You know, it, it's it's all too common that the the sewing circle starts getting going and people start yapping about different things that are going on and they get into this negative 
just environment, which, you know, it's like a disease and, and it's our, it's our responsibility as officers, command staff to make sure that we're going out and doing this with, within our own culture of the fire service. Yeah. And, and you couldn't have said it better. And, you know, and what a punch in the face to our, our, our community, our caretaking community. And the fact is, is that, you know, the only way that we do this is a shift in thought. It is a total shift in action in the way that we are treating our communities. And you're 100% correct. And you that starts with the leadership at the very top by expressing their uh, values and expectations of those that are serving underneath them. And in so many so many situations that we see uh, those leaders, uh, it doesn't matter if it's at the very top all the way through mid-management, is, is that we see them uh, teaching uh, or looking at expressing, uh, you know, some discontent about their job and discontent about the community they work in. And, and I think a lot of that is you know, a lot of that negativity, it always filters and Mm -hmm. we filters down, filters down into the point to where those subordinates, those people that are on the streets and dealing with the patients, they're like, this is okay to do. This is okay to treat people like Mm -hmm. this because I hear this from the leadership above me. You know, I mean, how many organizations do you really see follow their vision statements, their mission statements? And how many of those leaders do you really see express their values, morals, and ethics in today's EMS world um, right. or fire service right. world. Um, and I feel that, you know, to be successful in changing uh, the perceptions of the EMS provider to- towards those people, because let's be honest, we are dealing with more poverty now than we have ever seen before, you know, you know, and so many times we deal with those people that call an ambulance for a hay nail or a transport and so and we get burnt out of that. And I think feel that, yeah, those crews are getting burnt out. But I think the leadership at the top needs to start and say, time out, guys. You know, we understand that you're doing a job and that you're burnt out and that you're busy and you continue to do this over and over again. But we have expectations that we need to make sure that we are meeting. And those those start with the top. I, I think that oh, go ahead, please, go ahead. I think you're absolutely right with that. Um The other side of the coin is realizing that when we're having these issues and we are having problems from uh, our staff, one of the challenges we've been having is, you know, we hire people from outside of the community and they have not been taught that value system yet. They have never been exposed to the value system that, that that we're talking about. So they come in or they come from another department that did not have that value system and they show up and it's like, uh-uh, we don't do things that way here. So we really have to uh, emphasize how we're going to be doing the business that we do day in, day out and lead by example. So, um, I think that's such a key point. I have, I have two questions for you guys. So number one, uh, Jeff, you bring up the great point of burnout, right? And I think that's a whole different conversation I don't want to get too deep into. But to a point, doesn't that have to get addressed too? Like why we're doing that, right? And that goes into you know various other right. uh, strategies absolutely. that we're trying to mitigate that's a that. Because there's absolutely no excuse for you know bad attitudes, stuff like that. Right. But we also can't ignore the elephant of the room of you know the the 
what's causing these attitude issues yeah, and, to, a, to a point. And, and I think that we need to we need to take that point and without going down the rabbit hole too far is, is that, you know, our business is not going to get slower. Ever. We, we continue to get busier. We continue to add things um, to an EMS worker's plate, um, such as community paramedicine and uh, so many other things to try to find out how to better serve the community and deal. Let's be honest, those programs are being put into place to deal um, with some of the burnout and some of the stuff. But I, I honestly feel that, you know, us as a community and as an EMS community, we, we are missing a couple of things. Number one, the burnout, the PTSD, and the other things that we're not thinking of because everybody has a home life and home lives are stressful and it doesn't matter if you've got bills to pay and you're not going to meet your bills, um, but you've got all of these other aspects of an employee and as a, and a provider, you know, the burnout, they're, they're, they're coming in and they're working a 24 hour shift and they never come off a fire truck or an ambulance. Let me rephrase that an ambulance. Fire trucks are not so such a thing, but, uh, you know, they're not getting meals and, you know, we, I think as a, as a, as an organization and a society, we really need to start looking at how are we treating our responders when it comes to max call load and the amount of calls that it can run in a 24 hour period or a 12 or an eight or whatever. And, and I think that we really start to need to start as a leadership. And I'm going to go back to leadership because I think that this is where it starts is, is making sure that we are paying attention to our people and not just the run numbers. And I feel that us as a, as a society of providers, we have lost the human factor into taking care of people. We now see paramedics, EMTs as those that are just grunting on the ambulance and, or even on a fire truck for that matter. And, we're burning them out to the point to where they're leaving the business and they're, they're opening this huge hole. I mean, everywhere you look in the country, we have this huge paramedic, uh, you know, hole. And, and we, we were trying to find different ways of filling that. And I think a lot of that has to deal with, you know, you once again is talking about the elephant in the room and saying the reason that we are burning these people out and the reason that we're having such high turnover is because they don't want to do it. You know, they're to the point where they love giving care. They love providing the service, but they're just done. And I think that that's something that we have to address. And I, I can't wait to hear how you guys are addressing it, especially on a uh, on a reservation. Well, the best approach that we've utilized is when we're having that same call over and over and over, it's our responsibility to get out of the problem and into the solution. And the way you do that is a lot of times there's this gap between how far you take the patient. You know, do we just drop them off at the hospital or do we utilize the support services that are within our community to get them the help that they need? And a lot of times people say, or, you know, you'll have responders say, that's not my job, but it really is because unless you want to keep going back for the same thing over and over, you have to one, educate them and two, and help them understand this is an emergency and this is not, but also explain to them what you're taking away from the rest of the community should they have a real emergency and then the other thing is, is that you're you're actually following up and l contacting adult social services or, you know, contacting the service that they 
really need to have support them so that the problem gets solved, okay? If they need to get in a nursing home, who do we contact to make that happen? And then follow up to see that it's actually being done. Hey, so uh, we're we're finishing. We're going to finish this episode up uh, right now. Thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, so w- when we start up our next episode, I really want to get into bridging that gap because that's something I really like. Because uh, I think that's something that emergency departments are dealing with as well. It's not suddenly, and of course they have case management and stuff like that. But getting the resources people need to prevent that, you know, that mm-hmm. frequent flyer, and. Um, also, I want to trans. Oh, after we discuss that, we'll transition into um, penetrating these. You know, the 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 populations getting you know getting through to so many populations that are, um, you know, resistant towards our help. Mm-hmm. And I want to. Uh, I really want to talk about your experience with the tribes to right. see you know what re- what strategies you utilized and how we can use that at a uh, greater level. Uh, well, thank you very much for listening in. Uh, so please be sure to follow us on uh, alertmedic1.com. Uh, our podcast is on Spotify, iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Uh, please be sure to give us a rating. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, follow, follow us on Facebook, uh, Alert Medic One. Follow us on Twitter, uh, Alert underscore Medic One. Uh, we're working on other uh, a larger social media footprint as well. Um, as we always say, uh, this is a project driven by you, the listener, and uh, the community that we're trying to serve. Um, with that, please send any feedback, any you know, positive, negative, anything you'd like to see differently. Um, we want to be a resource for you. Uh, thank you very much for listening in. Uh, that's all for now. You've been listening to the Alert Medic One podcast, the premier emergency medical services podcast with your hosts, Mustafa Sadiq and Ken Sanner. Thank you.